passage and the Lord's commissioning is that it does not come out come without warning. Can you imagine being in that tent? Just imagine you're Joshua on this day. You're in the tent with Moses. This is got this this is pretty big highlight, right? This is a major, major event in your life. You have been summoned by the Lord to enter into the tent of meeting. The Lord has appeared to you. Moses has placed his hands upon you. You have heard that you're the one to take over. And the next thing you hear from the Lord is, here's your job. These people you're going to lead... They're going to turn against me. They're going to go the other direction. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to worship other gods. In fact, what's going to end up happening is I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured. Now God is speaking about that which is going to occur okay, when the north, ten northern tribes are taken over by the Assyrians. He's speaking about the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. That is what he is speaking about. The 40 years in the desert have already occurred. So he's speaking long ways in history. But he's saying, this is what is going to happen. Imagine. Okay, I get to be leader. These are words of, of warning that come from the mouth of the Lord. In fact, he he commissions Moses, does the Lord, to write that psalm. I ask you to, to go home tonight and read Psalm 32. It's, it's not one of those psalms that was written in order to, to raise the rafters of praise to the Lord. We already know why it's written. The Lord said, write the psalm to warn them so that they know, so that they're taught all that I have done, and what they are doing when they forsake me. So we, we have this whole 30 seconds. And, and, and imagine, you know, you're about to enter for Moses. You've just been told, again, you're going to die on a mountain. Before you die, write this song. It's a song. Warning. It's a reminder of the hardness hearts, even to these people of Israel, even to those who had experienced God's covenant blessing, this was not going to be an easy haul. It's not going to be a piece of cake. This was not going to be all fun and games. This commissioning that Joshua received was going to involve a lot of hard work. It's going to be a difficult task. Fighting the enemies without driving out those nations out of the land of Canaan, but also fighting the enemy within as well. So I've mentioned three things so far. One, the Lord's appointment of Joshua. Secondly, the Lord's means. Thirdly, the Lord's warning. But then I want you to note from this passage as well, the Lord's expectation. Verse 23, and the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, be strong and courageous. 
for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Perhaps after hearing the context out of which these words are first spoken to Joshua, you understand the necessity of them. But I want you to hear God's expectation. God expects Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Now it's interesting that that we have two things being told to Joshua. And they are repeated often. You turn to the book of Joshua okay, and read through the first and second chapters. This becomes the most repeated phrase in those chapters. Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Joshua is even going to have the angel of the Lord appear to him and say to him again, be strong and courageous. He continues to need that that reinforcement, that reassurance. He continues to, to need place before him the expectation of the Lord. I would have you think about it this way. Why two things? Why not just be strong? Doesn't that cover it? I would have you think about it in this way. Remember I just mentioned there were two enemies that Joshua was going to be facing. There is the enemy without and there is the enemy within. In terms of the enemy without, what Joshua was going to need to do was to be strong. Strong in what way? Strong in his faith. He was going to be facing some insurmountable odds. He has an army of untrained soldiers. He is going to be going about warfare in some of the most unusual manners and ways. Just just think about their first battle when they enter Canaan. Just walk around the city. Blow some trumpets. Have priests go before do that for six days. On the seventh day, do it seven times. What does that take? That takes strength of faith. He was going to face battles in which the five kings of the Amorites are going to come up in mass against them. He's going to face a, a battle in which 31 kings of the north are going to all gather at the waters of Medigo to do battle against Israel's rather scrubby army. One could even call them that. His faith had to be strong in the Lord. But Joshua, in order to fulfill this commission that the Lord has given to him, also needed to be courageous. Courageous to deal with the enemy within. Courageous to call up an Achan. Who has sinned against the Lord? Courageous enough to keep the people's feet to the fire. Courageous enough to stand and to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Courageous enough to say, those gods you got in your saddlebags, you need to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to continue to serve them in the dark of night? Or are you going to throw them away and worship the one who is the Lord your God? You're going to need to be courageous, Joshua. And I expect you to be courageous 
deal with the enemy within. Now, how do we see this passage, this commissioning of Joshua, how do we see that fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, we see it fulfilled most clearly, do we not, if we turn to a passage such as Matthew chapter 28. And you probably already knew and were thinking this is where I was going to go with it. Because where else would you go to talk about the Lord's commissioning other than to the passage that speaks about the Lord's commissioning? This is what is going on. See, what you have to see is, is what's happening in Matthew chapter 28 is what we just read about in Deuteronomy 31. Moses is leaving. There needs to be a successor. Christ's earthly mission is coming to an end. He is going to ascend. There needs to be a successor left in place. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's take this and look at the very same points we made back with Joshua. First of all, I want you to note that it is the Lord who has appointed. Now, first of all, let's just look at the fact that it's the Lord who has appointed these 11 disciples. We read that earlier in the Gospels that the Lord called his followers to them and from them he appointed his disciples. These are not the people you normally would have selected. Certainly, if there had been a vote, these 11 guys probably would not have been on the top of the ballot. They're a strange group of people, are they not? And yet it is this strange group of people, this collection of 11 disciples, to whom Christ gives this great commission, go into all the world. You! Go. See, there is nothing about these 11 that we would think, yep, they're a perfect fit for the job Christ has given to them. In fact, we'd probably go, these guys aren't fit for the task. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of the fact that those who are appointed by the Lord are appointed only by grace. Because you see, this passage of Matthew chapter 11 really does extend beyond the 11, doesn't it? This passage is really not about specifically those 11 individuals. It is a message to the church. It is a message to you and I. It is you and I who are being commissioned here in Matthew chapter 28. We are the ones being told, go ye into all the world. How do we get that job? How do we get that task? Only by grace. See, it is the Lord who appoints. It is He who elects. It is He who chooses. Romans 8, 29 through 30, right? 
Those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the glorious image of his Son. Romans 8, 28. It is is God who in his infinite wisdom takes people like you and I and brings us into his tent of meeting. It, It is God who elects us, who chooses us out of all the sinners there are to choose from. We don't deserve to be in that tent of meeting. I would imagine if many of us were to go out on the street corner and people from our past or even from our present were to hear us preaching the gospel, there would be many who say, what happened to them? How could it be? Grace. Only grace allows us to be those who are commissioned by the Lord. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 15. You can turn to the text if you want. It's John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. What an amazing thing to stop and reflect upon. I didn't choose Christ. He chose me. You didn't choose Christ. He chose you. Out of the billions. It is God who appoints. And it is by His means. What is the means that God uses to to do this work where He takes people like you and I, sinners such as we are, and and gives to us this, this commission of going out into the world? Well, Jesus answered that question for us too. He answered it in the book of John chapter 3. He said... The necessity of this is that you need to be born again. How are you born again? You're born again by the work of the Spirit. Jesus said that when He leaves, He would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to lead, to guide them in truth. It is the Holy Spirit who gifts. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us fruit. See, just as we we look at Joshua and he enters into that that tent of meeting and the cloud, the pillar of fire. Remember that. The pillar of fire. Who is that, who is that pointing to that pillar of fire? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Joshua is being commissioned by the work of the Holy Spirit. What is it, brother and sister in Christ, that enables you and I to be commissioned by the Lord to this great task of going into this world with the message of the gospel, with the message of Jesus Christ. What means does God use? The Holy Spirit. His pillar of fire. Was signified for those disciples and the other that were gathered, that crowd of 120 there at Pentecost, wasn't it? When that which appeared 
that, that seemed like pillars, that, that seemed like tongues of fire upon their heads. Why, why were there tongues of fire? Why did God use that? Because that was the picture back there in Deuteronomy chapter 31 when Moses leaves and Joshua takes over. What was there at the tent of meeting? A pillar of fire. The Holy Spirit's presence. And it is that Holy Spirit that gives to us all that we need in order to fulfill the calling and task that God has given to us. But I want you to note a distinct difference. In Deuteronomy, there was the constant refrain that was given to Joshua. The words of warning that are given to him and to Moses about the people's disobedience. There is a distinct difference that we find throughout the New Testament. It is not a message, oh, I know there are passages of warning. But the predominance of the New Testament shows us not that God has commissioned us and that we have to sit around being afraid and worried. God has commissioned us out of his love. For God so loved the world. He gave us his son. What does the son do? Out of his love. He gives us to the world. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. When he leaves, when Christ descends, he commissions his church, he commissions you and I as believers to be that message of love to this world. Now, don't get me wrong, and you've heard me preach long enough, many of you, that, that you know that, that that message of love we give to the world is, is not the wishy-washy, okay, nothing to it, not, not proclaiming sin, not talking about sin, not dealing with sin. No, okay, we certainly do. That is the message of love. The greatest message of love we have to tell someone is that they are a sinner and need Christ. Not to continue in their sinful ways and all will turn out well. Yes, we need to confront the sinner. But you see, there, there is a distinct difference in that which is happening there in Deuteronomy and that which is happening in Matthew. Why? Because the price has been paid. And a new covenant in the blood of Christ has been established. Lord willing, we'll go there Thursday night. But, but let me give you the preview. You see, Moses is establishing a covenant. That's why I read to the end of the chapter. They take the tablets, they take that law, they set it next to the ark. It stands there as a continual, continual reminder of the people's sin. When Christ came, that law was fulfilled in perfection. It no longer serves as a condemnation, but as life in Christ, the fulfiller of the law. 
So he comes with a new covenant. A new covenant in blood. Written in the droplets of his blood shed upon the cross. Written in victory. Written in it is finished. Written, paid in full. So we go with a message to the world. That's the message. Paid in full. It is finished. The message of the gospel. That doesn't ignore sin, but deals with the reality of that sin. It is truly the message of love. The message of love that we have, that we bring John chapter 13. Several texts, but let me just go to John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. I'm sorry, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now note, that isn't the whole thing. Listen to what he says next. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. This is the telling mark. Not words written in stone laying next to the tent, the Ark of the Covenant. Lives of love. See, that's what we're commissioned to commissioned to be messengers of the gospel of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Dying world. A message of hope. A message of peace. So what is God's expectation of you and I? We're sharing this with a fellow pastor a number of weeks ago actually a number of months ago. And it's interesting, but verse 19, and maybe I've mentioned this from off the pulpit before. If I have, it bears repeating. The go, therefore, in the Greek is written in such, such a way that that's not an imperative. The command is not go. The command is make disciples. The going is expected. See, Jesus never stops and says to his disciples, man, I got to tell you folks, you need to go. Why? Because he knows that's what disciples do. You don't have to tell disciples to do something that they will, by very nature of being disciples, will, in fact, do. That's not the command. It's where we get this text wrong so oftentimes. Jesus expects his church, Jesus expects his commissioned people to go. What he commands them to do is to make disciples. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you suppose that is? Why do believers 
why do those who have been commissioned by Jesus himself to make disciples, why does that need to be told? You want to know the reason? Because going is easy. The making is where the hard work Jesus, you see, understands it's really not that hard to tell somebody the gospel. It is hard to come alongside of somebody and disciple them. That's the work. That's the hard part of the task. By nature, we can't help but proclaim Christ. By nature of being a disciple of grace, having experienced the love of Christ, we, by nature, go to tell others. But how do we respond when somebody says, I want to know that, Jesus. Oh, well, that's going to take some time. I might have to change my schedule. I might not be able to do all the things I want to do. Man, it was easy just telling you about Jesus. This sounds like hard work. You mean you really want me to take you through the Bible? And you want me to explain to you what's all in the Bible? I really don't have time for that. Can't I just go to somebody else? No. The expectation is to make disciples. To make a disciple. God says, I'll convert them. I'll convert them. I'll bring them to Christ. That's the work of my Holy Spirit. You make the disciple. That's our commission. That's our task. That's our responsibility. Be strong. Be courageous. For the Lord your God Promises to never look to you and never forsake you because of the blood of Christ. And God's people say, Father, again, we thank you for your precious word. Ancient words, ancient words. Yet, Father, in those ancient words we find your truth, your truth for us. In the commissioning of Joshua, we we see the work of of your Son in calling us as believers in Christ to this glorious task, making disciples. Lord, Lord, create in us not only the desire to do so, give to us, Father, the ability to do so. Give to us the want to do so. Give to us, Father, the love to do so. You're with us. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. So we go to this task as well. The name of the one who bears all authority, who draws to himself all those who are appointed to eternal life. Help us to be faithful to the commissioning that we have been given. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.